Yes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, we talk about previews, usage, this instant reaction show. Once we get, you know, five, six, seven weeks into the NFL season, we say to ourselves, oh, the good teams have separated from the bad teams. We understand what teams want to do with the ball in their hands or defensively that they're kind of figured out. Week nine, turned that on its head just a little bit and maybe even separated the best teams from the rest as well. How you doing? I'm doing good. I think there are two elite teams, the Rams <laughs> and the Bucks, And then yeah. everyone, there's like, what, five to ten pretty good teams? Yeah. But and I as of this recording, uh, neither of those teams have played yet. So right. we're going to talk a lot about every single game that happened today. Just want to remind you that we're back on Tuesdays and Thursdays as well. And before we do anything, we are at 7,400 subscribers on Twitter. If I could wake up on Monday morning when we may or may not have an all-hands meeting every single Monday on Underdog Fantasy to 7,500 subscribers, that would be incredible. What a moment that would be. So if all of you could like and subscribe if you're watching it live with us right now or if you're watching the VOD, that would be awesome. All right, Hayden, let's talk about the games. And let's start off with a team that has been in the news this week. The Odell Beckham drama certainly did not hang over the heads of the Cleveland Browns as they go on the road to the previously number one seeded Cincinnati Bengals and win 41, yes, 41 to 16 by just going through 21 passes of Baker Mayfield. And Hayden, my eyes jump to this. I'm going to press the button and you say it. 14 carries. 137 yards, two touchdowns. That means we got a Benji of the week, five and four, and I needed it. And I also got the the underdog of the week to give me the back to five and four too. I was worried I was going to go under 500, but what happened here was basically there's two or three big storylines. Storyline number one is the Browns scored 41 points on 44 plays. That is the third time somebody scored that many points on that few of plays in NFL history, according to Pro Football Reference. And the reason they were able to do that was the defense uh, stepped up big time. The They got pressure on Joe Burrow, but more importantly, they got Denzel Ward back. He gets a pick six. He uh, had a massive pass breakup on T. Higgins. Uh, Greg Newsom, their first-round corner, had multiple plays downfield, contested catches, catching up to Jamar Chase. They had another defensive back cause a fumble on Jamar Chase. So like the Bengals were kind of moving the ball pretty well like throughout the game, but these big plays just by the Browns' defense – uh, sprung things loose. And then you had a monster Nick Chubb run that was set up by a polling Wyatt Teller who like launched himself. And then you Nick Chubb takes the rest of the way. And then a Donovan Peoples Jones, a long touchdown. So it was just massive plays for the Browns and no uh, bad plays for the Browns. And then the Bengals, it was just kind of the opposite. Two things here. Uh, let's start maybe on the defense side of the ball, like you were talking about, because it's been so much of an investment for the Browns over the last few off seasons. You brought up Denzel Ward, who like when he's been in games this season has been a real difference maker. Then we've only seen, you know, Greg Newsom for spots and moments, but he flashes as well. Even someone who didn't play in JOK, who's a rookie second rounder has played a high level. And you add on top of that with miles Garrett again in phases to start the season has been utterly dominant along with Malik McDowell, along with Malik Jackson, along with Jadavion Clowney. What I'm trying to say here, Hayden, is that the total investment on the defensive side over the last few years, 
it hasn't run its course in terms of like a hot streak for multiple three, four, five, six, even longer than that stretches of the season. But maybe this is the point moving forward as they continue to get healthier, where if you like consider the identity of what the Browns want to be, that has to be a really critical factor because if they're going to be their most explosive and use their best assets and along the offensive line and running the game, the game certainly has to be close or they have to be winning. I think their defense is good enough to win with four pass rushers. Their front four right now is really good. And now with Denzel Ward back, they have somebody that can win and beat your number one outside receiver. And like that is the perfect combination. You're going to have to make a uh, second and third wide receivers, the, uh, the tight end beat you. And it's going to have to be uh, with the quick game. And just looking at the, the box score, Joe Burrow was sacked five times um, and been through two interceptions too. So it was just a tough day for Joe Burrow constantly under pressure. And I think that this is like the best the Browns are going to look, but the fact that they're more healthy on defense and getting JOK back in a couple weeks, I think that gets them back into the AFC contender list. Um, even though the last couple of weeks has been pretty bad, but with Nick Chubb looking healthy, the defense looking healthy, they're getting Kareem back eventually. And Donovan Peoples Jones looking uh good enough with a couple splashed plays and like kind of that Odell Beckham role. I think this team's pretty good still. Like it's not, they're not the Rams, they're not the Bucks, but I think that they're somewhere in that top 10 ish uh, football team rankings. Hayden, the people are furious. We are six minutes into the show. And despite having a day of again, 14 carries 137 yards and two touchdowns to go along dare I say with a 23 yard reception, two catches we're six minutes in and you have yet to unleash the full chub. We got it today. Finally. We, well, I was going to say, yeah, there was um, going into uh, before garbage time. He had, uh, I think, 14 carries and Dearness Johnson had one of them. Mm. And on the first drive, Nick Chubb had two receptions. And one of those receptions was where he was uh, playing outside wide receiver and then caught a pass down the sideline. So uh, because this game was a blowout, we didn't see Nick Chubb in the pass game too much. But the fact that Dearness Johnson wasn't involved. Uh, just tells me that we do have full Chubb and he's going to have much, much, much bigger workloads moving forward. And like, I think we can see the blueprint. Like let's say cream hunt is out until the bye week We can have all of a sudden a good offensive line, a team that doesn't want to pass the ball too much. And now a defense that can give you positive game scripts. Like we're going to see games in in the next couple of weeks where Nick Chubb has 20 to 25 carries four uh, four targets and all the goal line work. And that's where you get the Dalvin cook, like, fantasy numbers and I really don't think with with Derrick Henry out I don't think that there's a, a, a running back as good at football in the entire world than Nick Chubb right now Jonathan Taylor's pretty good up there too like those are maybe the two that moving forward will help really separate among teams I, I don't know necessarily what these are pointing out I think they're just a bunch of words and who knows if it means anything but expected rush yards five on the 70 yard run touchdown run in terms of him creating yards. I guess that's what it's saying. He creates 65 yards on his own on this touchdown run. Um, I do want to bring up Baker Mayfield who did hit a long touchdown to Donovan Peoples Jones in this game. Again, you pointed out that, you know, Baker, this is kind of the standard game where you get 21 in passing attempts, but he couldn't converted that into 218 yards and in two touchdowns. I guess it's to this point, Hayden, where the Bengals that one section of the season were considered like a top 10 defense. And we've gotten like a lot of answers. I feel like in the Bengals over the last few weeks, there's just a really dominant performance by the Browns offensive line. And as you pointed out, mostly 
no mistakes by Baker Mayfield, which we had seen mistakes on like fourth down sacks, on interceptions, on poorly thrown passes. And I'm not going to get into the narrative of like a departure actually helped them moving forward. Yeah, it didn't help them. It's just that I think that Donovan Peoples-Jones gives them the deep threat element that they would need with Odell out of the picture. And going back to the Bengals defense, I mean, they played the Bears, they played the Steelers, Jaguars, Lions, Jets, you know, like it, it was not like a murderer's row of offenses that they face. So I think they're getting a little bit exposed on defense. So on the other side, on the Bengals offense, we had Joe Burrow go 28 of 40, 282 and two interceptions. Yes, Joe Mixon got us two touchdowns. We love that. Plus Joe Mixon, the receiving game, which is beautiful with 46 yards and, and five receptions. But I look at this. And again, there is no reason to say, oh, we could see this coming with regression for Jamar Chase. But I look at the white on the screen in terms of the routes that he caught and look at the gray in terms of the targets that were there, but were incompletions. All of the gray are vertical routes. So this was the one game, basically, that Jamar Chase failed to create a big, long play. And yes, I mean, it was, what, 24 to 10 at halftime. So it was almost out of hand. At that point, but this is almost a microcosm of, look, this team doesn't want to throw that off. We've seen that throughout the entire season while it's, you know, gaining steam in that direction. But if Jamar Chase doesn't have a first half play or an early third quarter play, that's like a huge game turner, then it's going to be kind of spiraling down potentially for the Bengals. He I mean, he was just a negative regression cannon when it comes to those deep passing, but it wasn't uh, for any fault of his own. Like the fumble was really bad. Uh, but that long post that you're seeing in the middle of the screen that he was open. And mm. that was just the play where, where Greg Newsom came back and, and gained some strides back and was able to deflect the ball away. I thought there was one, one of these sideline passes where Jamar Chase created a separation where I think he could have gone for a touchdown. And that ball I thought was kind of Joe Burrow's fault where he kind of underthrew him a little bit, but I mean, he he still looks so explosive out oh, there. Yeah. I think this was just uh, like this is where I think you have Greg Newsom who who turned it on, had a good game. Troy Hill had a good game, and then Denzel Ward mi- uh, mixing up things too. So this was just this is like the exact blueprint that the Browns wanted to have. And um, yeah, Joe Burrow just was constantly under pressure, and that, that was just kind of like the storyline here. I was putting this in Slack, and I've talked about it on the show. It it's kind of hit or miss of how Joe Burrow reacts to disruption how he reacts to pressure like we saw it against the ravens he was keeping his eyes up he was buying some time and he was identifying who to throw the football to and then today i saw times where he would kind of like turtle a little bit and trivel a little bit and go down with the sack so i think that that's still something we are deciphering as we uh as we're moving forward it's officially time to panic with tyler boyd he had two targets on 40 dropbacks his a dot is still around six yards like i don't see how that's going to turn around unless there's an injury I next want to talk about a huge comeback for a team that's also in the AFC North. That is the Baltimore Ravens in overtime beating the Minnesota Vikings at home, 34 to 31. I'll tell the story, but most importantly, the Ravens totally dominated the last 40 minutes of this game, the entire second half and 10 minutes in overtime. But it certainly didn't start off that way. Like Lamar Jackson, he was throwing outside. He was overthrowing over the middle. He held on to like a speed option that he was taken down on a fourth and two, but it was bailed out by a horse collar. He was just making all of these poor decisions. 
But the Vikings were the team that started off incredibly hot, just like what we expected, because this Ravens defense, as we go back to that Bengals game, as we go back to other ones, they're giving up chunk gains on the ground, and they're giving up chunk plays in the passing game, I mean, the chunk gains on the ground. Davin Cook started off with three carries for 85 yards. Unreal stuff in the first quarter. And then in the receiving game, this is such a cool little microcosm, probably the coolest play of the Vikings on the day. You see the center like quickly, well, slowly, I should say, go the line. And then as soon as he gets there with the other lineman already set, instant snap. And then boom, Justin Jefferson straight over Marlon Humphrey's head. The closing safety doesn't get just completely undercuts it. And it's a long, long, long touchdown. So halftime, well, nearer to it, I should say, 17 to three with only like a minute left in the first half, Lamar Jackson goes out there, uses his legs. They score a touchdown. Then in the second half, it's four straight touchdown drives, 75 yards, 71 yards, 81 yards, and 61 yards. We saw everything that we wanted from a passing offense from the Ravens, along with help from Devontae Freeman and Le'Veon Bell. So to me, it's a really cool shift in the Ravens that we saw that, boom, they can turn it on, go through these tremendously long gains and it's all with Lamar Jackson at the helm against a very quality defensive play caller in the Zimmers. I just looked at stat head from pro football reference and Lamar Jackson has, was the third quarterback ever to have more than 20 carries in a game. He had 21 here. Uh, he had one game with 26. Tim Tebow had one with 22 and then he had that one for 21. So, I mean, he's like, literally the entire offense. It is absolutely wild that he can do that. Yeah. From football perspective on Twitter, Lamar Jackson just had his third career game with hundred rushing yards and 250 passing yards, which ties Cam Newton for the most ever. That's where we're at with Lamar Jackson right now. And he's only been in the league for about five years. Um, that's it's, it's pretty incredible stuff. And it really doesn't get into the minute details of it. I mean, they had 36 first downs, the Ravens. Wow. Did. 89 total plays and they wouldn't have come out with his victory if the team, you know, was soft. If, if, if they were scared because in the second half they went three for three on, on fourth downs. And the crazy part of this, it wasn't just like that drive to get it to 17 to 10 at halftime because immediately they, you know, the, the Vikings first to get the ball to half, they go out. Our boy Kanan Wangwu takes the kickoff, for a touchdown. So it's like a deeper hole over and over and over again. But then they're the ones that go up, you know, 31 to, to 24. And Kirk is, is the player that has to bounce back with a 75 yard touchdown out of his own to almost nearly the final drive to, to, to make it into overtime. Um, just some stats that stood out to me. I was a little nervous about Mark Andrews did very well, 10 targets, five receptions, 44 yards could have been a lot more. Lamar sailed him on a pass over the middle of the field. And Marquise Brown, man, 12 targets, nine receptions, 116 yards. What they were doing, and we'll talk about this on the usage show, I think it would be really important because I want to get your read on this. They were forcing Mark Andrews to kind of be the vertical player, and a lot of times they'd get Marquise Brown in motion and then leave him near the line of scrimmage. And these were kind of extended handoffs that were getting him and then getting blockers in front and allowing him to win after the catch. I mean, it wasn't these vertical shots on the field. It was almost a yards after catch threat that Hollywood Brown put out there, which is not saying it's a new dynamic. We've seen that a little bit, but it really stood out when they were almost at full force with Rashad Bateman involved as well. Well, I wonder if they can start 
doing that a little bit more because they have a Rashad Bateman type player that can get open where they can start using him going side to side pre-snap and right at the snap. And if they were doing that previously, whereas Rashad Bateman, well, now you're wasting a route from somebody if it's a decoy and now who's Lamar Jackson going to throw to. So I wonder if Rashad Bateman, that's just another little sprinkle that they can go to. Uh, did you have any takeaways with Rashad Bateman? It looks like five for 52 on eight targets. Looks like just a, another totally three player. first down conversions too. Yeah. Like, I mean, it really is a chain mover situation especially over over the middle of the field and uh yeah i i want to go back and 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 watch the game but that's that's definitely what stood out live and to be honest with you hayden we got 13 carries from Devontae freeman for 79 yards a lot of that was during the game and then it felt like Le'Veon bell almost took over for the final drive for the ravens and he had 11 carries for 48 yards and a score like they were probably at their best that tandem than they've been throughout the entire season now i got a lot of uh, what's the right word? Feedback from the Vikings fandom after this game that they just feel if they're a team that goes up, you know, 17 to three, Mike Zimmer has just this innate nature to take the foot off the gas. Yeah. And I mean, their offense didn't score until, you know, the fourth quarter because they, they get that kickoff return touchdown. So like you're up 17 to nothing at halftime or 17 to 10 at halftime. And then your offense just goes in an entire quarter of not doing anything. And I mentioned Dalvin cook having 85 yards in one quarter. There was a point until we got to the fourth quarter where he had 83 total yards. So he goes out there and continues to lose things. So I don't know if they can like able just to hammer and, and demolish opponents, but it, it certainly hurt them. It's just that mindset that they were in just to retain and play defense rather than try to score more points that ultimately led to a, to a loss today. I think. Yeah, I think that's like why you want an offensive uh, head coach, you know, <laughs> like you so say that you don't get into these kind of situations. Yeah. Um, just a couple things. I mean, Adam Thielen only had seven targets, two receptions, six yards, and a score. Great that he got a touchdown. I don't think he got his first reception until about three minutes left in the third quarter. Uh, CJ Ham had an unbelievable uh, catching or, excuse me, catch along the left sideline. And then I know a lot of people played Tyler Conklin because against the Ravens, Titans do really well, five receptions, 45 yards for him. And then they also went for a fake punt, and Kanae and Wangwu, you know, secured that as well. So uh, it was a fun back and forth. Uh, you're you're going to enjoy watching this game because even on replay, even with knowing the answer, just seeing Lamar go four straight scoring drives is uh, is pretty sweet stuff. Pretty sweet What's stuff. What's next for you? I have Falcons versus Saints. Falcons win 27 to 25. And Matt Ryan, quite frankly, was pretty absurd today. The, the Falcons had um, plus 0.49 EPA per play. Their rushing EPA was negative 0.69. That's bottom first percentile in all NFL games in the last 20 years. It had a 0% success rate. And if you watch any of the Mike Davis or Cordero Patterson carries, I mean, going absolutely nowhere. So he was basically dropped into a situation where it was completely one-dimensional and Matt Ryan was just dicing them up. And there was a couple plays where we had Marshawn Lattimore against Kyle Pitts. But at the end, it was just a there's a couple two-minute drill situations. And uh, Matt Ryan just kept finding the open man. And, and a couple of those times was to Olamide Zacchaeus, who had his first touchdown. He just sat at the one-inch line against zone coverage. And, and Matt Ryan flicked the ball to him. And then there was another one where he was the only wide receiver on the field from the five-yard line. And that got a, another touchdown, too. So... Um, we had a uh, Cordell Patterson had, had a definitely an up and down game as a rusher. It was not working out, but he had, I mean, 
probably the play of the game uh, where he was lined up outside against cover three and uh, a shot down the field near the sideline, makes the catch, was able to run down the sideline, keeps his toes in for the ultimate game-winning field goal. So this was a big, big, big win from the Falcons and particularly for Matt Ryan because this was as one-dimensional as you'll see in the NFL when it comes to just success rates. Okay. A few questions here. Um, Cause we've seen the Falcons against bad defenses put up points. They put up points in every single quarter here again, did nothing at halftime, you know, another 17 points in the second half. Is there anything that stood out against the like saints defense that why they just dropped an egg? Cause I even saw Cal Pitts drop a long pass along the left sideline too. Like it's pretty clear. Cal Pitts wasn't as best despite having three receptions and 62 yards. I mean, this is a defense that's typically loaded. Was there a certain usage or, or certain weaknesses or just big plays other than individual efforts from Cordero Patterson where that was kind of the difference? It was basically CPAT. Uh, but it. that one Kyle Pitts play, that was like one of the first plays of the game. And it was like man coverage versus Marshawn Lattimore out as a wide receiver. So this is another week where you, you were seeing teams play Kyle Pitts as if he was a wide receiver. And Kyle Pitts was nasty. And then you just dropped the ball way downfield. Um, so totally fine from Kyle Pitts. Like this is what we should expect. Um, he's definitely getting more attention, but that opened up some things for Olamide Ezekiel at the goal line, Russell Gage mixed in there, but it really was just explosive plays from Cordero Patterson. That was mm. just, that was the difference really. What a story CPAT is. I mean, truly writing a piece of the 2021 season. When we look back at it, a name that none of us expected, a name that was listed at the wrong position heading into the season, uh, be even more of a story if he was wearing 84 as a running back before the numbers change was possible. But yeah, six catches, 126 yards on six targets, 100% catch rate, incredible stuff. I'm, I'm excited to see where he gets drafted next year, actually. Okay, I have a bunch of questions on the Saints. Um, one, big decision on their hands with Jameis Winston out for the season. What was the playing difference between Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill. Obviously the passing difference was 41 attempts for Simeon and just two for Taysom. So Taysom had some slot wide receiver snaps. He played some quarterback. He played some wildcat. And there's one play at the red zone where they split Alvin Kamara out uh, at wide receiver. And then he was the wildcat. Um, but I thought that they should have gone Taysom Hill. And I think that, Probably they, they weren't able to uh, know if Taysom Hill was going to be eligible to play early on in the week, and that's probably why they went with Trevor Simeon. But there was one pl- uh, segment of plays um, when they were chasing as a 6-17 to 17 early in the fourth quarter, and Trevor Simeon throws the first pass, goes nowhere. Then Taysom Hill comes in for a 14-yard first down, another one 19 yards for a first down. And those throws, like those two Taysom Hill throws, it was so obvious how much more of a laser Taysom Hill has than Trevor Simeon. And then there was a false start and then it goes right back to Trevor Simeon who gets mm. strip sacked. That ball goes to the, uh, the Falcons return that down to the uh, four yard line. They score a touchdown. That was basically putting this game away. And that was the difference. So I, I think that Trevor Simeon's pretty bad. He's just so limited. He can't throw the ball downfield at all. And I think that they would probably go Taysom Hill Interesting. next week. Now that they know, um, but I, I it's going to be hard to tell because I, I think they want to use Taysom Hill as his kind of like specialty player, but I, I think that there's just no way that this is sustainable with with Trevor Simeon. I mean, they had three points through three quarters. It was bad. It was really bad. That's it was unbelievably the, bad. Yeah, I think they're going to want 
they're going to put like dead money all the way into like 2064 and just give an empty checkbook to Philip Rivers to get him out of retirement. Like that's like where we're trending here. And I mean, Alvin has 50 yards rushing, 54 yards receiving, number one in both categories of the team. As we talked about, because, you know, the belief was that Taysom was going to be the starter here. Last season when he did play, it was Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders out there. That's such a big drop off from that to this with Trey Quan, Deontay Harris, Adam Troutman, Kenny Stills, Marquez Calloway, right? So yeah. it's going to be tough for any quarterback to, to, to succeed. I, I'm going to go back and watch this game, but it will be fascinating if, you know, they do review and they do look in the mirror and say, are we better with just Taysom? Yeah, they need to decide, like, what is their goal for this year? Like, are, do they want to sign an Odell? Do they want to make a move from a available quarterback? Or if this is just going to be what they are and they're going to be in a 500 team and just probably get smoked in the wild card round if they get there. And this is a game they really needed to win. They're five and three right now, second in the NFC South. Over the next few games, Hayden, the Tennessee Titans, the Philadelphia Eagles, away for both of those, the Buffalo Bills, then the Dallas Cowboys over the next four games. So we're going to learn a lot, learn a lot about the Saints. Um, let's close out the one o'clock games that we focused on. And sadly, somebody's play taps. Let's talk about the Patriots beating the Carolina Panthers 24 to six. We're going to play taps because it's the, uh, it's the end of Sam Darnold's career. It should be. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, let's be positive and start off with the New England Patriots, Hayden a team that knows who they are at the moment, a team that is you know, well-coached, strong, powerful on defense, was able to get some incredible takeaways today to turn the football around. And most importantly, it's shielding your rookie quarterback from a great pass rushing unit. We did a really good job against him early on in the game, the Panthers, by only asking him to throw the ball 18 times. And instead running the football 39 times, 39 runs for 151 yards and one score, like very few explosive plays in the running game to I me. Mean, Ron J. Stevenson, a 13 yard carry. Brandon Bolden had a 16 yard carry. Um, I mean, look, I actually want to bring this up because the, the Patriots truly know who they are right now. And I think that that's really important as we, as we head into week nine. In week five, they had 30 carries. Week six, 27 carries. Week seven, 32 carries. Week eight, 39 carries. And then today, again, another 39 carries. Um, I'm saying all those things, but I don't know if it mattered based on who their opponent was because the Panthers were that bad. Um, I mean, Sam Darnold had three straight drives that ended in an interception. The Panthers actually got two turnovers off Mac Jones. One was a sack fumble. One was an interception from Stefan Gilmore. Both of those drives started inside the 40-yard line, and the Panthers could only get six points out of each. Uh, it's it's really abysmal what Sam Darnold is, not even what he's become. Just I, I think he's mentally out of it, not given up, but just can't overcome – deficits, bad plays, bad games, and forget about them? Because you know this, Hayden, when things were going well in the first few weeks, he was making some plays, and now that they haven't for a long stretch of games and he hasn't thrown a touchdown, I don't think, since week six, it's all just getting worse and worse and worse, piling bad up on top of each other. Yeah, he just turns the ball over too much, and he panics when he's under pressure and behind this offensive line 
which is like quietly one of the worst. And I think that they just lost their center to a torn ACL to just even make matters even worse. It's just not going to, it's just not going to matter. He's just, you can't play under pressure like the way Sam Darnold does and be a starting NFL quarterback. So I, I, I do think that this could be, I mean, I think he's going to continue to start the rest of this year because he's still better than PJ Walker, but this was basically a one year rental on a potential franchise quarterback. And I think that right now we can probably close the book on Sam Darnold as like a legit franchise uh, quarterback option. Was today's, was any of this impacted by his shoulder or was this just no same old, same old? No. I mean, he lost his starting center on the first drive. Like you mentioned, Cameron Irving, the starting left tackle left after a few drives, but the Patriots had 209 total yards at halftime. The Panthers had 65 yards at halftime. Uh, let's check in on what we said immediately after this trade that happened, I believe, on April 9th, Hayden. The thing about Sam Darnold right now is that he's ass. Like, he's really yeah. bad. You know, he he's frenetic. His ball location is poor. He plays off platform. His feet and upper body, like you mentioned, they're, they're rarely connected. I went back to watch the Sam Darnold highlights during his years with the Jets. And while he can make some off-structure, off-platform plays and – you know, those are exciting and we can latch on to those. Many times the ball location forced wide receivers to completely halt their momentum, forced them completely to stop. You have. Sounds about right. It is about right. Do they want <laughs> to bring in Mr. Cam Newton for the home stretch? No, that, that, that I don't think that's going to happen. And there were a few other things. I mean, I, let's talk about some of these Panthers players and like Chris McCaffrey. Okay. 14 carries, 52 yards. Somehow he got over 100 total yards because he also had 54 receiving yards on four receptions. I don't think he got a reception until one minute left in the third quarter and then strung together about 50 yards in that entire drive. And then that's when Sam threw an end zone interception. I mean, through he threw one pick six, he threw one interception into the end zone and he threw another one at the line of scrimmage. And then it gets to the point where Robbie Anderson is yelling at him on the sideline. Two guys who have a history together. Uh, speaking of Robbie, one catch for two yards. He gets another hospital ball who he gave to Robbie Anderson a couple weeks ago, this time to uh this time to DJ Moore. I mean, it's uh it's really bad. And we're only halfway through the year. They're four and five. They have another seven games to play. There's eight games to play. And it, it's getting to the point where they know that the the, the season is, is totally over with. Um okay. On the Patriots end, though, Hayden, I do want to bring up a couple of things because while there are 39 carries in total. The differences in the usage between Brandon Bolden, Ramondre Stevenson, and Damian Harris is going to get a lot of run this week and a lot of conversation. So the Panthers did a really good job early on shutting down the Patriots' rushing attack until a 41-yard catch by Ramondre that featured both Brandon Bolden and Ramondre in the backfield together. And it was some really good open field moves that Ramondre was making. He continued to pick up like another 13-yard gain on the next carry. And then Damian Harris capped off that drive with, with a touchdown. You move forward and each player is getting, you know, a couple touches, a couple carries here and there. And in fact, Damian started the next drive. But then Ramondre Stevenson goes down with a head injury, questionable return. And then just a couple of plays later, Damian Harris goes down with a, also a head injury. And he went into the blue medical tent. So you had in the end... Damien getting 15 carries, Ramondre getting 10 carries, and Brandon Bolden getting eight carries. And Bolden is the only one at the end of the day who comes out of the game and ends it healthy. Are they both in concussion protocol? Is that like the latest word on it? I, I would assume so. I mean, it looked really okay. bad. It, it, yeah. I, both both seem like headshots. 
towards towards the end. And obviously, J.J. Taylor wasn't active today. So obviously, when a player like Ramondre Stevenson makes great open field moves, it's electrifying. People latch onto it. Um, right now, depending on the health status, might be the thing that determines who is going to be the starting running back here next week and moving forward. Absolutely. Yep. We'll talk about it on Tuesday. We'll know more. Okay. Uh, anything else in the one o'clock window, but we also watched some four o'clock window games. Let's talk about those. Which one are you going to bring up first? Let's go with the Cardinals and 49ers. This was a blowout win. Basically, uh, game was pretty much over at the third quarter. Um, and that was with Colt McCoy completing 22 of 26 passes. But I think the primary storyline here was twofold without having DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray, uh, or AJ Green, they were still able to move the ball this time with James Conner because in the first quarter, Chase Edmonds leaves with an ankle injury, doesn't return. And this was like the upside they were talking about when you have a strong offense. And like we weren't expecting that from this week, but just in general, with James Conner attaching himself to a potential top five, top 10 fantasy outcome if Chase Edmonds misses any time. And this was the perfect example where he has 21 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns. A couple of those were close to the the goal line, but he also, because he's shown a three down workload uh, previously, he goes out there and catches all five of his passes for another 77 yards in a touchdown. And I think there was one play in particular, and it was that, that uh, 45 yard touchdown run where it was a screen pass against a blitz, the perfect situation for a, uh, for a screen to work, but he was actually showing some, some pretty explosive uh, run for a bigger back. And like you're showing on Twitter, the, the stat of the day right now is James Connors leading the NFL in touchdowns with 11 of them. And that is basically the Kenyon Drake role from last year. It doesn't matter if James Connor is good or bad at football. Kenyon Drake was able to do things last year and, and two years ago for uh, in this offense. And now if Chase Edmonds is going to miss some time with the ankle roll, yeah. that's going to leave James Connor in probably like the top 10 if we can get him uh, by himself for a little bit. So this was a, a huge, huge, huge game for James Conner again. So there were a lot of unexpected things about this game. One, the score. I mean, the Cardinals weren't even favored in this game when they go out and win 31 to 17 on the road. I mean, by the end of it, I think that they were four point road dogs here. It's because they were down arguably four of their best players in Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously we know JJ Watts been out and then AJ Green was also missing. And then you said Chase Edmonds leaves after like a first series or two. Yep. So what I'm trying to say is, was any of this predictable? I mean, we know we got Rodney Hudson back, which we've talked about being a major reason why the running game has been so much more successful this year and years past. And I think more important than whether considering if it's predictable or not, Hayden, what you're saying is the Cardinals running game, especially if it's one person is going to be massive, but still with two people, you're you suggesting towards the beginning of the year, like miss Cleo that James Conner was going to have a significant role and score a lot of touchdowns is absolutely correct. What we're again trying to say is Arizona Cardinals, good offense, want pieces of it. It's not just good offense, it's fast-paced offense and offense that uses their running backs. There's some offenses that don't use their running back, like the Ravens, for example. They just never use their running back, so it doesn't really matter. We've seen with the Cardinals, with Cliff Kingsbury, that they want to use their running backs down there. And James Conner is a big dude who's played all three downs, and it was basically as simple as that. So, yeah, James Conner not predictable this week, but I think moving forward, he's, I mean, he's already like an RB2, and if 
if he can get a couple of weeks to himself, uh, he's going to be an RB one. Last note I have was the sideline reporter relayed uh, after talking to Cliff Kingsbury that they're quote unquote hopeful that Kyler Murray plays next week, but they realize that this is an, uh, an ankle sprain and they want to be smart with it. And I think that the reason why they weren't rushing Kyler out there this week is because they were seven and one and they've going to be in the playoffs no matter what. And now that they're eight and one, they can take another week off here too. So uh, the Kyler stuff I think is at least kind of concerning because it's a thumb, it's a shoulder, it's an ankle, it's a little bit of everything. Um, but that's not going to matter for James Conner if, if, if there's no Chase Edmonds. You're bearing the lead, too. I mean, Colt McCoy went 22 of 26. What What's the that? hell? I mean, 249 yeah. yards and a score. And also talk to me, I think from the first snap, we did see what we expected with Christian Kirk playing outside, Antoine Wesley playing outside, and Rondell Moore playing in the slot. Um, maybe the most interesting part, because we've seen those other two pieces, but Rondell getting possibly a full workload, only five receptions for 25 yards. Yeah, I think that he would have been way more involved if this game was closer. You know, yeah. there was not a need to like they were just running the ball so effectively. I mean, they ran the ball 39 times. A couple of those were kneel downs, but uh when they were running it that hot, you don't have to throw the screen to Rondell Moore as much. So I think it was fine, but it's it just goes to show you when your A dot is that low, it's just hard. It's like the Tyler Boyd stuff. It's so hard to be fantasy relevant when all of your passes are that close to the line of scrimmage. You want those passes on top of being open. 15 yeah. yards downfield, you know? What does it say about the San Francisco 49ers? Now three and five. Again, this game was at home. The team, uh, the opposition didn't have their starting quarterback, their number one wide receiver. You are healthier than you've been all season long with Jeff Wilson back, with George Kittle back, with Brandon Ayuk playing. And Hayden made 17 points to go along with Jimmy Garoppolo who, yes, put up 300 yards, but it had to have been all in garbage time situation. I mean, a couple of notes. The 49ers, their wins are against the Lions, the Eagles, and the Bears. And next week, they play the Rams. So, <laughs> I mean, this – I don't want to say the season's over, but it's its trending that direction. I think that Jimmy G played fine. You'll, you'll re-watch this game. He's not a difference maker, but this game was not because of Jimmy G's limitations there was the two huge plays it was a george kittle he caught the ball over the middle tried to make a play and then he fumbled the ball that led to some points and then brandon Ayuk, same thing caught the ball over the middle tries to make a move upfield and then he loses the ball for more points so those two fumbles were the big differentiator that that interception came late in the game on a third down he was the moving the ball up pretty effectively the the problem though is they want to run the ball early and they weren't able to do that. Uh, Eli Mitchell had a pretty much a, a bell cowish kind of workload before garbage time. Uh, I believe he played like 26 snaps and like the rest of the, the running backs only played like seven or so snaps. Uh, and then he caught some passes in garbage time. Eli Mitchell finished with five receptions, which is by far the most he's had. Um, but really it was just, they, there's not an explosive element to this this passing attack because yeah. Jimmy can't stretch the field vertically. He still can move the ball like on a down-by-down down basis, but if you're not getting Debo Samuel broken tackle touchdowns, then this like passing game is pretty, pretty limited. Hmm. How'd Debo look, by the way, before we move on, coming out of that calf injury? So there was one play, a deep curl route, where he turned really slow, and that happened early in the game, and I was like, man, that didn't look good. But then later on, he caught a pass where Trent Williams uh, – it was a screen and Trent Williams came out of nowhere and absolutely clobbered this guy for like a 30 yard gain. And Debo looked fine there. The problem though, is 
when you have the 49ers in close games, they're going to be as like bottom three pace. They're not going to pass the ball. And then this game, Debo had nine targets. A lot of those were in garbage time. Brandon, you had eight. George Kittle had eight. So you see how fast that goes into an even split. And that's like the little bit worry here because you're not going to see Jimmy G throw the ball 40 times. And if they make a, a quarterback change, you're not getting anywhere near 40 pass attempts from Trey Lance. So we'll see. They all exited healthy. And that's like the one positive. Eli Mitchell, uh, Debo, Kittle, they were all banged up. They all exited healthy. So they'll regroup, but they play the freaking Rams next week. Let's talk about Los Angeles Chargers beating the Philadelphia Eagles 27 to 24. Yes, this wasn't was in Philly, and the Chargers are now uh, five and three. You really couldn't get two more different game plans from my perspective from this. Justin Herbert attempted 38 passes, and the Eagles ran the ball 39 times. Um, in fact, for the Eagles, there was a stretch early in the game when it was a very close contest or they were trailing on the scoreboard. 22 of 24 plays in a row were runs. And Wild. it made sense. It, it, it made sense because that's exactly where the Chargers are at their weakest. And it wasn't all design runs. Like, let's not just say they lined up in I formation and ran it down the middle every single time. In fact, you know, Jalen Hurts had eight, 62 yards. Jordan Howard somehow was the lead ball carrier in this game. 17 carries, 71 yards. Boston Scott got going in the second half a little bit for 10 carries and 40 yards. Um, but I, I think the big difference was even despite missing some plays and some opportunities early on, like let's take their first drive, for example, the LA Chargers. It was a 98-yard drive. They had four downs inside the five-yard line, and they failed. They still turned the ball over on downs. I don't know if it was – I mean, Joe Lombardi, I'm not going to absolutely you know, praise the play calls. It was like a speed out for the last read where, you know, that's one – person basically in a route and it was Keenan Allen and you have to force it with tight coverage. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, work, you're screwed. Um, but Justin Herbert was 32 of 38, 356 and two touchdowns. And I think he got back to, you know, after some struggles against the Patriots, after a struggle against what the Ravens prior to that as well, he completely bounced back. And I think what really kickstarted it and sure he was efficient before this was a deep shot to Mike Williams on the first play of the second half. Only two catches for 58 yards for Mike Williams. That 49-yarder where he one-on-one -on -one went up and won against Darius Slay was like a real turning point for me that allowed the momentum to continue going over and over and over for the Chargers. I mean, we I mean, pretty much exactly nailed this game in the previous show, just talking about how different the Eagles' defense is. So much zone coverage. They're not trying to trick you out there. They're just trying to limit the big plays. And that's exactly what happened. Justin Herbert had a 5.8 a dot. And a lot of that was covered too. And if you're looking at the next gen stat charts, that is exactly how you're going to beat it just right underneath it um, over yep. and over again. And that's why I think that Keenan Allen was the one that had the huge boss score here. He gets 13 targets. He's also not facing Darius Slay. Uh, so Mike Williams, once again, had the harder matchup, but I think just going back to Justin Herbert, didn't want to bury the lead here too much. 99th percentile EPA and 97th percentile completion percentage over expected uh, over like the last 20 years. That is insane stuff. And I think that yeah. just going back to the previous games, those were just matchup things where they were trying to confuse him and they were playing a lot of man coverage and they just weren't getting things done because Mike Williams was banged up. I think that this was kind of just the turning point where this is a good offense still and you can just run into bad matchups. And I still, 
I mean, we, we I've never done this before, but Mike Williams is my Benji of the week for next week. I already looked. They're playing the Vikings <laughs> next week. Benji of the week for Mike Williams. That's like the perfect matchup. Uh, another kind of cover two defense, and they just don't have the same corners that he's been going up against the last couple of weeks. So first time ever, Mike Williams, Benji of the week for week 10. We've talked about the right guard spot for the Chargers, the right tackle spot, especially because they're playing backups. Zero sacks for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I didn't hear Josh Watt's name. I heard a uh, penalty on Derek Barnett. Not very much Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave and Milton Williams in the interior. So especially when the Chargers offensive line plays well, um, the rest of the offense can play well. And it's it's what we've talked about, too, where – if you have Justin Herbert, if you have Keenan Allen, who's a constant, if you have Mike Williams make that one play down the field, you can get like Donald Parham, sh- you know, shrugging someone off inside the 10-yard line. You can get Steven Anderson making people miss UCLA Bruin after the – no, he went to Cal. Sorry. Uh, after the He catch, wouldn't have had anything after the catch if he went to UCLA. Come on. So what I'm trying to say is certain players can make just one or two plays for them. Uh, and and that helps considerably. And I want to throw in a Justin Herbert rushing touchdown as well. So I showed off in the YouTube channel, in the YouTube chat, in the YouTube video. Hopefully you're joining us there. Justin Herbert's passing chart. It couldn't be more, again, contrasting than what Jalen Hurts put out there. Again, Jalen Hurts did a lot of damage on the ground, especially in third down situations, third and four, third and three. He was always able to avoid the Chargers defense and convert those. But then it was a whole bunch of intermediate and downfield targets here. Still very little over the middle of the field. Yes, the Devontae, Free, Devontae Smith touchdown is right there. Um, but Jalen Hurts missing throws in the first half, leaving seven to ten points out there, was the difference in the end of this game. Now, again, I want to always bring up, it is so obvious why his teammates adore him. Because you see these, again, third and short, fourth down runs, that he's doing flips over the first down marker to get it, and he's a gamer in those situations. And so you love him for it, but leaving big plays or leaving conversions, easy plays out in the field in the first half, games can be lost in those first two quarters just like they can be won it in the second two quarters as well. Yeah, I'm looking – it looks like Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard had 159 of the 162 passing <laughs> yards. like 98% or whatever the hell that is. They need a, a second wide receiver. You know, like that's on the agenda. Like number one, figure out what the quarterback situation is. Number two is they really need a second wide receiver. And then a couple linebackers and a couple corners. Yeah, this seems just multiple pieces away. I will say that Jalen Hurts pro- provides some kind of baseline though. He's not the worst quarterback so even if he's not going to be a starter long term, I think that he's going to be a high, high caliber backup or backup quarterback. Um, so we'll see what the future is. But um, it seems like he's been playing at least good enough to keep his job, you know, and that's all we care about for now. And it's always unpredictable to say, oh, this is going to be a Devonte Smith week. We always think he has a talent. We always think he has the route running to do it. And he was, again, catching a bunch of those intermediate and down foot targets. The over route was was really beautiful. Um, maybe. It would have been easier per, to predict in, in this game because Asante Samuel being out, like he was just being covered by by lesser corners. And Michael um, Davis. Brought and and Michael Davis. Um, but, you know, here's his long touchdown over and over out, just crossing the face, catching it, splitting two defenders, and boom, it's a score. I mean, I'm really excited to see what Devontae Smith does moving forward because he, he looks incredibly smooth out there and he you know, lunged for that touchdown as well. And again, the running back, maybe we'll talk about in the usage shows too, seemed too unpredictable. Like 
Jordan Howard was doing well early on, so it just felt like Nick Sirianni kept the hot hand in that situation. But Boston Scott, when he was got his opportunity, looked good too. And then somehow one of the two touches Kenny Gainwell received in this game was a goal line carry. And that's how he got in the end zone. So I, that Makes is no totally sense. unpredictable. That yeah. was totally unpredictable. I think probably it's just you can't play any of these guys. You know, if, if it's going to be this unpredictable, then like good luck. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Rager, one catch for negative six yards. He turns like a cruise ship. Uh, okay. Before we close out this four o'clock window, we need to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs being the Green Bay Packers 13 to seven. That brings the Chiefs to five and four. And that brings the Aaron Rodgers less Packers to seven and two. Hayden, I know the scoreboard, and there's a whole bunch of narratives we can spend and spin here. We'll say for the Packers, you score a touchdown. You also missed two field goals. One was blocked, and one was a bad hold that made um, Mason Crosby shank it to the left. You also had a muffed punt off of a blocker's left foot that the, <laughs> the Chiefs are able to, you know, pick up the ball and nearly a goal scoring opportunity. So I'm saying all those things that this game is basically a gift over to the Kansas city chiefs. It's like, Oh, the defense can't stop anyone for the first few weeks of the season. Now they can. Now the chiefs offense can't score any, anything and are set up for perfect situations. And Hey, they can only put up 13 points. What gives? It was just terrible. Like Patrick Mahomes looks really bad right now. And I think that Travis Kelsey looks a step worse and, I mean, talk about gifts. There was no Jair Alexander, Zadarius Smith, Kenny Clark, or Eric Stokes for the Packers defense. I mean, it's really bad. I think that the one thing is the, the Chiefs at least need to threaten on the ground. And Derek Gore, Daryl Williams, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, it's just they're not fast enough. They're not good enough run, rushers. So they need, like, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire back and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, like, healthy. Because you can't run the ball 25 times for 77 yards when teams are daring you and playing their safeties 20 yards downfield. They're just – and you can't run the ball. Like, how, what gives? Like, you have to have something. So, I think, like, the the doctor's order is Odell Beckham or just Travis Kelsey looking a little bit better. I know he had mm. a, a score here, but there's been too many plays where Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey just have not made those exceptional plays. And then Patrick Mahomes had Tyreek Hill wide open – and missed him for, and that could have been like a 95 yard touchdown. So it's just a lot of things that are going pretty wrong here. And I think that they need a spark from Odell. Like I hope that they can make that happen. Um, but if, if it doesn't, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what the fix is going to be. Look, it's, it's a win. And maybe by the end of the season, if they make the playoffs, we only think of it as a win, but as of right now, the chiefs have not answered any questions. I mean, Again, Mahomes attempts 37 passes for 166 yards. Jordan Love threw for more passing yards today than, than the Chiefs did. And the Packers ran for more yards than the Chiefs. I mean, nine of his 20 completions were behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. It's, it's a broken it's offense as simple right now. As, yeah. Is it as simple as Travis Kelsey's not playing up to the caliber that he was? I would say Patrick Mahomes is not playing anywhere near the caliber. Like when we had the same conversation like three, four weeks ago, they were moving the ball consistently. And like that's why I was like, oh, they're going to figure it out. These last couple of weeks, it hasn't right. been like that. You know, like the right. turnovers, it, it's not even the turnovers today. Did they even have one? Uh, yeah, nope. they didn't even have a lost turnover, but they didn't move the ball. Move and like up, that's yeah, yeah. that's scarier to me is not moving the ball. Like I would right. rather move the ball and then like things are happening. But right now, the last couple of weeks, like it is not the same as it was earlier on. This is like more of a problem 
than it was three, four weeks ago when they kept fumbling and throwing interceptions. Yeah. Raiders, Cowboys, Broncos, Raiders again in the next four weeks. It seems like the holes are not filled and more are just popping up for the Chargers, yeah. uh, for, the, for the Chiefs along the way. And that's uh, that's terrifying. Um, okay. Packers, first start for Jordan Love, 19 of 34, 190 yards, one score, one interception. I saw a whole bunch of, hey, Jordan Love isn't ready. Probably against one of the weaker defenses he could possibly face across the league. And this might not be the best preview for the player who almost certainly will be taking over for Aaron Rodgers next year. And Hayden, he had a whole week to prepare for it. It wasn't like he woke up on Sunday morning and boom, you're the starter. Troy Aikman summed it up in the broadcast. He was like, fairly or unfairly, they're going to be putting a lot of uh, like say into this game. Like when they recap it, making their decisions. Yeah. And I think maybe he didn't completely fail the test, but he was pretty dang close to that. And there's a lot of problems that he had. He only took one sack on 34 dropbacks. So it wasn't really that. It was just he w- he wasn't really seeing the field because he's athletic enough, athletic enough to like escape pressure. It was the accuracy, man. Like you can't miss that many th- just throws. And he was not on the same page with Devontae Adams. I understand that they didn't have that much practice time together, but it, you can't be that inaccurate. And the problem with the pre-draft profile is kind of similar to the Zach Wilson stuff is uh, Zach Wilson never saw pressure. So that was an unknown. And then for um, Jordan Love, he was just so inaccurate. He made so many crazy, weird plays. You're just like, well, if he doesn't fix that, he's not going to make it. And like today was basically that, like 19 of 34 passing. And this is the same Chiefs defense that has been giving up yards and points to everybody except for for him this week. Devontae Adams was clearly frustrated out there too. So like, mad. I, I am no body language expert, but 14 targets, six receptions, 42 yards. A lot of them, it was so clear because we know the connection between Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams is so pure that so much of our back shoulders along the sideline, I think they went for him in third and longs, fourth down situations, and it was just off. And that's not something you could learn in a week. But some of the things you are saying, an NFL quarterback should get out there and do against average defenses, especially a first rounder that's expected to start next season, that you know your general manager is basically suggesting is the future of the team. But then it's also against potentially the worst defense in the NFL too. Like he found Daniel Sorensen for the Alan Lazard touchdown. That was great. But other than that, it's uh, there's not that many things to latch onto. And it makes me remember the one Patrick Mahomes start he had during his rookie season that Alex Smith set out when they already had like the number one. Lit him up. And lit up the Denver Broncos. And that was a really talented defense. This was a far vast departure from that. And again, don't want to write his career off, but, uh, there was more concerns than than strengths because every other piece, I mean, the defense absolutely did its job and the special teams let the team down as well, obviously with the muff punt and then the two missed field goals as well. So, yeah, the problem is, is Aaron Rodgers going to come back next week and we're, we might not see Jordan Love again. And then the Packers are going to have a decision. Okay, uh, now what? <laughs> right. Um, anything quickly on Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon? I mean, Aaron Jones had 12 carries. A.J. Dillon had 12 total touches as well. Yeah, it's it's becoming a little bit more of a committee than you'd want from a first round pick. And the on off splits with Aaron Jones, with Devontae Adams, just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. All right, let's go rapid fire now through the one o'clock slate. And Hayden, we need to start 
with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Buffalo Bills. Nine to six. Jacksonville wins this game, their second win of the season. You're going to see a whole bunch of Josh Allen versus Josh Allen, while the quarterback version, 31 of 47, 264, and two interceptions. We always talk about this and this pedal to the floor player who almost puts blinders on on defensive linemen, pass rushers, coverages around him. Basically, every single negative play that Josh Allen could have had today, it went against him. But I'm not saying that was randomness. He puts himself into those situations, but at times he's just and constantly, he's just an uber athlete with an incredible arm and an offense that likes to highlight that in one-on-one matchups that for so long, dating back to last year, it's been successful. And this one, it wasn't. I mean, it was a strip sack. It was an awful throw to Cole Beasley that was picked off. It was another one where he's being taken down the backfield that for some reason he doesn't think through the play that like a sack is better off and lobs in the air and the pass rusher Josh Allen picks it off. I just don't know how a team in the Bills that is the favorite for the Super Bowl heading into this, that Josh Allen was the favorite for MVP, now is five and three and puts up only six points against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. I don't know. I don't know what to to say about this one. Going into this game, I knew that Josh Allen had uh, a little bit of a dip on his catchable ball rate compared to last year. And Stephon Diggs just isn't earning as many targets as he was last year. It's not even close. Like today he had a 17% target share, you know, in a perfect, perfect, perfect matchup. So yeah, there's some flaws here. I, I don't know what it is. I haven't watched this game at all. I'm not even sure if I've seen a single snap from this game. Um, but the box score is not looking good. Yeah, I only watched the highlights. Now, the Bills were without their starting right tackle in Spencer Brown. They were without their starting guard in John Feliciano. What the Jaguars did really well, you know that Josh loves to escape pockets out of the sides. They really looped from the outside and forced him to stay up and stay in. And I wonder if that's something we're going to see moving forward. But yeah, I mean... All those questionable players played. Emmanuel Sanders played. Cole Beasley played. Stephon Diggs was out there. Um, and it's not like the Jaguars did anything. Like, it was pass rushing with Taven Bryan and, and the other Josh Allen. That's it. That's it. Offensively for the Jaguars, quickly. Uh, Trevor Lawrence left for a little bit with an ankle injury, came back in. Um, Dan Arnold is going to be a tight end streamer moving forward. As we keep saying, there was a reason why they – you know, trade for him. There's a reason why they want speed out there on the field. And he's, he's a safety blanket. I will say Lawrence missed a couple of, well, one big play to Marvin Jones that could have been a touchdown along the left sideline. And then Joel Agnew dropped a long pass from CJ Beathard in the two plays that he was in as well. Yep. Swagnew got three receptions, uh, more yards than LaVisca Chanel. That's like what I always look for in my Jaguars box. Of, of note, uh, Carlos Hyde did have the bell cow role without James Robinson, but James Robinson should be returning next week, but that's just like a little thing to keep in the back of your head for, for waivers and all that stuff. Another game that I didn't get to check out the Denver Broncos being the Dallas Cowboys. Hayden, we didn't pick these games because we just expected the incredible teams to be incredible. And that wasn't the case before we move on from the bills, by the way, again, they're five and three, five and three. And I still believe that they are one of the best. The offense though, just like the chiefs, maybe not too as much of an extent, isn't quite clicking like it has been, over the last year, they luckily gets the Jets next. So uh, that should hopefully help them get back on track. But let's talk about these Broncos and the Cowboys. 
Teddy, one touchdown, 249 yards. Javante Williams, his first Benji of the season, I believe, 111 yards. Melvin Gordon, 80 yards. I mean, they ran the ball 41 times, 38 times combined to the two running backs because they were up 16-0 at halftime. Yeah, just whooped their ass, apparently. And the uh, Dak Prescott got two garbage time touchdowns late and the two-point conversion. So if you started Dak Prescott in fantasy, it wasn't that bad. He got 16 yards and stuff, but the game looked really, really bad. So I have no idea what happened for the Cowboys. We've seen them click in any phase they wanted to, and then all of a sudden, they just didn't work. I do want to point out that Tyron Smith didn't play. And like if you look historically, those on-off splits are really bad. But the rest of the offensive line has been so good, and so they have all those playmakers. I didn't think that that was going to be an, an issue because no Bradley Chubb, no Vaughn Miller, no Alexander Johnson, no Josie Jewell. There was no uh, Bryce Callahan. I think that Patrick Sertain, uh, he got injured in this game too. So this is not the good Broncos defense. This was the bad Broncos defense, and it showed up today. Pretty crazy. Two things. One, shout out to Cleve T.A., who was all of the Broncos all week. This was a 10-point spread expected to be for the Cowboys. He was all in on the Broncos because Teddy doesn't turn the football over. Guess what? That didn't happen today. And uh, that's where the Cowboys had done such a good job in creating points. They were number one in the NFL in points off turnovers. Looking at it, Corland Sutton only having two targets here, obviously, when they only pass the ball 28 times. Yeah. But I do not think that Jerry Judy, Corland Sutton, when Noah Fant comes back, when Tim Patrick making some plays, Alberto, the both running backs, someone's a couple of these guys are going to be losing out every single week. Like there is no floor. Jerry Judy doesn't have a floor. Corland Sutton doesn't have a floor. And their ceilings are going to be hard to obtain just because there's so many good players on this team. No one's super elite, but there's a lot of good players. Um, so even when they put up 30 points, it was just the ball went to Tim Patrick and then nobody else really kind of pays off outside of Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I didn't get to watch this game, but I was just seeing on threads on Twitter that Dak had his worst game of all time. So the the two touchdowns in garbage time, the one interception certainly stand out. Okay, I guess there's one game left. We'll quickly head on it. Miami Dolphins, Houston Texans, Miami winning 17 to nine. Tua randomly early in the morning was ruled not the starter, but I think he was the backup in this yes. game, which is a very odd dynamic. Um, you know me, I took all of the Jalen Waddle overs on Thursday and Mike Kosicki overs, both hit, even with Jacoby Brissett out there. I think the most important point from this, Hayden, is in his first start coming off of injury. 43 passing attempts for Tyrod only equal 240 yards and three interceptions against a defense that we've seen absolutely torched by so many of their quarterbacks across the league. And took five sacks. So obviously the, the Texans offensive line is probably, I'm sure, beyond brutal. We did at least get 13 targets from Brandon Cooks for six for 56. So that's not the worst thing you've ever seen. Uh, the two stuff that they expect him to come back next week, but Devontae Parker and Will Fuller timelines are unknown, both on injured reserve. And when that happens, Jalen Waddle and Mike Kosicki just get forced the rock. And like, this is a game where it was 17 to six going into halftime and they probably knew they're going to win and they still get 10 and eight targets. So yeah, you know where to go. Miles Gaskin got a six yard touchdown run. Other than that, he had 19 carries for 28 yards and had six receptions for 23 yards. So very lucky he found the end zone here, but we know that we know if Brissett gets, Playing time, then Miles Gaston's going to get a bunch of playing time, too. All right. That's going to do it for us. No, no, no. We, we, got, we, got a, we got a doozy left. I think that we have Raiders-Giants. Oh, no, Hayden. Why are you doing this to me? I'm trying to get out of here. Okay. What stands out to me, 23-16 win for the Giants. And I'll bring up, actually, 
Um, the passing chart here for for Derek Carr is he did not complete a single pass over 20 yards in this game. Uh, we know things are going to go through some changes for Derek Carr in the next couple weeks. Um, now, not exactly fair. He completed a couple passes that were 19 yards, but none 20 plus. So maybe this is being, you know, unfair to him. But what the difference is was Darren Waller getting much more involved with 11 targets, seven receptions, 92 yards. Hunter Renfro also has seven catches. But then, like the two outside wide receivers that are supposed to step up. Zay Jones, just one catch, and Brian Edwards puts up total goose egg and four targets here. Deshaun Jackson's going to be in the lineup next week, though. I think Deshaun Jackson's going to immediately start and be in uh, 11 and probably even possibly 12 personnel uh, alongside Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro's kind of the stud, though. You know, He's had a really good year this year, and the fantasy usage model has been like wide receiver three, wide receiver four, and I just like can never believe it, but there's another big win for him. Then I think that Darren Waller is just going to keep getting peppered and peppered with targets. So even if it's a little less efficient than usual, it wasn't today. Um, I think that he's going to bounce back here. Certainly. Sin City Cole Beasley is what we're calling Hunter Renfro from now on. I think that that works. Uh, I don't know how I've again, have not watched this game. Um, You go an entire four quarters, just 20 passing attempts, but just one target in the direction of Kadarius Tony. Just one. I Maybe it was a wrong read, but it's also just not a lot of volume, not a lot of passing game for for the Giants. But I, I just thought Hayden, every single time we've seen him on the field healthy, he's been earning targets and he's been making big things happen too. At one point, I saw that Mike Clay tweeted out that Kadarius Tony was playing fifty seven percent of the snaps, mm. and then uh, Kenny Galladay was at fifty two percent of the snaps, and they were making sure to get Colin Johnson, John Ross, and Pharaoh Cooper. In the mix, so we got we got Jason Garrett. Is what happened right here. So hopefully this was an injury thing, but who knows, man? This is the freaking Giants, but they won. Yeah, congratulations, Jason Uh, and Devontae Booker again in Saquon Barkley's absence gets twenty one carries for nine ninety nine yards. Yeah, thirty one carries for the team compared to just twenty passing attempts. Last note, I want to close out on this. Saquon Barkley was ruled out because of his ankle, not because of the COVID situation. So like, we still haven't gotten a single bit of good news with, with Saquon Barkley. Zero ankle. news. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Okay. Now we're done. Everyone, like and subscribe down below. Again, there's a way for us to get 7,500 subscribers by tomorrow morning. I'll love you forever. We'll be back here on Tuesday. Fancy Usage Show. It's our favorite of the week. Yours as well. Podcast feed listeners, appreciate you. As always, so for Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the villa, everyone. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.